Do you remember the South Park episode that's sort of like the Wizard of Oz and they have to follow the only paved road? <laughs> follow the only paved <laughs> <Yeah>. road. <laughs> <laughs> they, they pick up like a mime in, in Montreal, I think. Um, yeah. And I forget what the, uh, uh, like a fisherman from like the Saskatchewan community. or something. I can't, I'd, I'd have to go find no, the episode. Would, yeah, it would have to be out east, I think, fishermen. Yeah, they, they uh, grow wheat and uh, cows and sheep in Saskatchewan, just like, um, you know, plains for you guys, right? Mm-hmm. It's all flat. Mm-hmm. You know, you can watch your dog run away for three days. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a classic old joke. All right. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 196 of the More Than Just Go podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario and I'm joined as usual by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And also by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. So one of these times, Tim, you have to say my name first. Really? Just to mess people up? You never say my name first. No, I know. It's it's like, you know, we we start, I know. It's it's based on reverence, you know? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So it goes in uh, ascending order, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. We could do it. In, we could do it by age. Uh, I mean, like, think about it. If you go pay for Taylor Swift conference, uh, you know, concert tickets, she doesn't come up first, right? Like, clearly, she doesn't. Oh, that's no. true. Yeah, the, the big act is. Yeah, we're just the, we're just the warm up guys, really. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think he's buying it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right. It's kind of like like TV credits. Like you know, when they show the the credits for or the beginning part of like you know who's coming out of the show, you want to be like that first person or the yeah. last person. You don't want to be the people in between. Well, see. He's, yeah, and he's not always the, he's not always the last guy because sometimes we have Marin or we have Tammy or Greg or whatever on the show, and I I usually bring them in last. Right? That's Unless, true. all right, all right. Reason. I'll let you off the hook. But you're right. One of these times, one of these. I think you know maybe not next week. Well, maybe next week. I don't know. We'll we'll have to surprise somebody with the uh, you know as usual Mark Rubin, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or once again joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California, and way over there. If we have to introduce some Jaime Lippis Jr. in the northwest, <laughs> northwest of Toronto. Yeah, and on, on TV shows they often have they list the whole cast and then the last person to say and starring and that's the, true no that's, right. that's what i mean like you yeah. know you get you get the the pre-roll you get the ryan ryan reynolds you know and then and then so on and then it says at the end and you know josh brolin as cable you know kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting i it's funny that you, that you mentioned that because it's interesting to watch how um big names are are called out in, in you know movie movie trailer or movie like movie title sequences right so they don't often put them at the front anymore like thanks to george lucas right but anyway that's a story for another day. So, Jaime, do we have any uh, Ask MTJC? He said, not knowing as we did. We do. We have one from, uh, I don't even know how to describe this, friend of the show and co-host of another show, Spotcast. That would be mm-hmm. uh, Jonathan Kuline at JPK News. As a, as a posting here on Twitter, it says, uh, visited the at MTJC podcast headquarters of Tim Mitra, and all we got were these cool t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure who X-Men, oh, <laughs> sad Xavier, okay, got it. Right, makes sense. Um, yeah, it, it, these t-shirts look real nice, folks. If uh, you haven't seen them, we will have the link for those of you uh, driving at home so that way you can you can acquire your own they're snazzy yeah so x-man's underscore 1664 is my grandson xavier so he needs followers so follow him <laughs> all right yeah no they got their, they picked up their t-shirts the other day when they were here so in space gray if you want to see what they look like they well, look sort of brownish think? in the picture that must be just be the yeah, light it's, that's gray it's gray hmm. it's laurel it's laurel i'm telling you it's laurel yeah. it's a it's a challenging photo like if you look at jonathan's i don't know if you're looking at the like the twitter website 
you can see both the tweet that has his face and you can also see Jonathan's profile picture and you might not be you know able to tell that it's like the same person because it, it certainly struck me at first as like who's this per- oh oh it's Jonathan okay got it yeah and plus we use the you know the incandescent version of the LEDs in the basement here so they have that yellow cast to them because they have a yellow dye on the LED right so it creates a sort of warmer more you know style of the lighting and and gray is one of those funny colors it can either look warm which in this which is what it looks like here it looks like it's got more magenta in it or it can look cool with a little bit more gray in it right so it's funny i have a i had a gray scarf i've lost it since but when in the house it always looked brown but when i was outside it always looked sort of bluish gray so it's just it's that you know the the blue and yellow blue and white dress uh, controversy all over again right or as i like to say perception is nine tenths of the law all right so yep if you want to see what the t-shirts look like there they are on supported by these two models um what's our other uh, ask mtjc there i mean oh you can have me read this one okay sure oh sorry so, this is for me right yeah this is yeah. from at tim mitra oh yeah that guy uh, did yeah. we talk about the symbol on the command key the little like propeller yeah. blade so I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember if i think this was a this is a susan care reference too because i'm pretty sure she designed this this icon and i've been looking at it for years myself you know kind of wondering what the heck it's kind of like a double infinity thing what do you guys think it is you know what it is i don't know a little it squiggle is, yeah. on the command key hmm? I, yeah, I have know. no idea okay imagine a castle with four turrets and you're looking at it from above okay so it's sort of meant to be like a secure key as a, you know, impl- implies security as well as, you know, special things you could do kind of thing. Right. So that's to be hmm. like a little castle. Weird, eh? Yeah. 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 When, when did they have the little Mac logo on, or sorry, the little Apple logo on the, Oh, that was on keyboard. the keyboards up until around, Hmm. I have a pile of dead Macs here. Um, I kind of remember it? seeing those on sort of beige ish boxes. Well, I, to this day, I still call it the Apple key and people look at me like I've got three heads and then I kind of go, Oh, sorry, the command key right because it had the apple key on it forever i mean it come that came over from i think lisa might even had an apple key in the uh the you know the obviously the apple II and the original max had the apple key as well right so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i can't remember when they took it off it was probably probably about the time they went to these flat you know aluminum keyboards sometime around the g4 i think g4 era it was before um uh pretty sure it was before classic came or before classic ended and, and os 10 came out right so that's a i guess that's another follow-up question way to go i mean just right good thing follow-up. we don't have fact checking on this show because it would like the whole next show would be nothing but fact check. <laughs> well, we, I'm sure Greg is yelling at his uh, keyboard already. That's true. <laughs> You've heard the show and he's yelling at it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I found an article oh. called The Untold Story of Why the Command Key Replaced the Apple Key on Your Mac. Oh, perfect. Let me post that in the notes so we can all get it. The Untold Story of Why the Command Key Replaced Your Apple Key. Huh. Here comes drum roll, please. And let's see. Dig in. Real time follow up, folks. So Steve Jobs said, one day. You guys are taking the logo in vain. There's too many apples on the screen. Get rid of it. Huh. Doesn't say when that was. Hmm. Surprise. There's a video here by Susan Kerr attached to this thing. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, and I think in that uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whenever I whenever I had her um, her video in there um, where she was talking at Lair's conference, I think, I think she talked about a number of uh, number of work that she did for other ones. And it looks like this video is a, says here another one, a full video of Kerr explaining her work at Apple and other companies. So last week we talked about her work at, at on the Windows stuff, right? Oh, she found a Swedish symbol. Oh, this is what it is. Pinpoint interest places, but it kind of looks like a castle. I do remember her telling this part about the Swedish symbol that is reminiscent. I think that but it's it, reminiscent. But it does say the resemblance to the two castles seen from above is purely coincidental. Oh, really? I feel like this is another one of those things coming out of Apple's history and legacy that has all these weird myths and legends where there's yeah. several different versions of the same story. Yeah. No, I do remember her saying this about the Swedish symbol because she showed a picture in her slide deck of 
of being in Sweden and, and seeing like the her, a, a sign directing to a campground with that symbol on it. She thought it was cool that, you know, there's a symbol that she saw oh. years and years before. So I guess I was wrong. Oh, well, but we don't have fact check on this show, eh, honey? <laughs> Real time yeah. fa- uh, fact check. We just did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what I was going to say was that Joe Triplinski, our um, fan of the show and the host of the um, release notes, uh, replied to me about, uh, I guess he was listening to the show this morning and replied to me about, uh, I mentioned last week, I was trying to remember who the person that came over from with retail experience to, um, as he says here, spearheaded the original app stores. And that was Ron Johnson, who was originally from Target, uh, was one of the, uh, he says, the unsung heroes of Apple's rise of world domination. So that was sent to me by Joe just a few hours ago. And what else we got? There you go. Yeah, now you know. Um, Tommy, you have the next one, I think. Yeah, this one is, <laughs> I can't even use it myself because I, I checked and it didn't show up for me. But apparently Apple users in the European Union can now download all the info that Apple has about you. You can, as you would expect for the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulations that are going around, uh, you can obtain a copy of your data, you can correct it and deactivate your account your account, or delete your account. And I guess from what I've seen, it's it supposedly, this is supposed to be rolling out to uh, presumably everybody. Um, yes, it is everybody. Yeah, but it's, it's starting in the EU first, which kind of makes sense because as we record this, we are a great two days from the May 25th sort of deadline from where you either should have had a plan or you need to have implemented stuff. I forget what the actual regulations themselves say, but uh, yeah, this is this is kind of interesting. I want to I want to try this out when it becomes available and 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 see what sort of things Apple has on me. They they offer multiple file sizes uh, as types of, of ways to download your stuff in, in chunks. I would guess of uh, one gig, two gig, five gig, ten gig, or twenty five gigabyte um, hmm. chunks. Well, cool. there's another article here on on this uh, same page which uh, talks about Apple's seven nanometer A12 processor are ready to go into production. So we're currently on an A11, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought uh, current devices on a uh, 10 nanometer. Does it say in the article? So they are? I don't know. Ask the chip guy. Don't ask me. I don't know. Oh, there you go. Apple's A11 Bionic and Qualcomm Snapdragon 845 are made with a 10 nanometer process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seven nanometers is pretty damn small. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it wasn't. It really wasn't. A nanometer is 10 angstroms, and an angstrom is roughly the diameter of a single atom. So Really? Yeah. So that means that the active area of these, well, it's not really of the transistors these days, but it's it's usually the the, the metal pitch uh, is only about seventy atoms wide. Pretty wow. amazing. Pretty amazing mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that long ago that you would see like the Intel's and AMD's of the world talking about their processes that were measured in micrometers. Oh yeah, no, I remember people used to say there's no way we could ever scale below one micron. You know, it's a micron is a micrometer, and and now we're ten times that small. It's amazing, hmm. unbelievable. More than ten. It's a hundred times smaller. All right. Um, yeah, I just uh, I think this is a quick one I found uh, when I was uh, poking around the interwebs earlier today that um, Apple, this is an article, I guess an opinion piece here from Quartz about um, how Apple, um, while Apple focuses on the on the watch being uh, something for health and, and you know, various other things, um, there's a large, there's 23% of the U.S. labor force are people who are on their feet all day in retail operations, you know, cooks and cleaners and what have you, people who can't reach into their their pocket and pull out their phone all day long and and so the watch itself you know as a second display for the phone uh, becomes a huge piece for uh, people um, doing uh, you know in the in working in industries where they're working with their hands and stuff like that and they can't you know don't have access to that kind of stuff so this is an opinion here on how you know airline pilot, airline attendants bartenders waiters baristas shop owners you know TSA employees <laughs> um, who can't you know reach into their pocket and pull out their own phones uh, are able to take advantage of that. and I think I talked about uh, one of my friends is a, 
you know, dog walker up at the park where Mac runs around and like a, like cool. And she, you know, when I told her about the Apple Watch, she she got one and she loves it. She's actually got. Last time I ran into her, she's onto her second or third one. She just finds it great because she can, you know, she's got like eight dogs on a leash and um, she can still manage to communicate with people using her watch alone. Right, just a quick little piece there. Yeah, I I'm hoping that we see new stuff for WatchOS, uh, presumably WatchOS five at WW, and um, I'm hoping we'll see something that will let us build more. You know, no, I don't, I don't want to call them interesting, uh, more productive apps and, and less sort of passively consuming notifications, which is by far the, the biggest thing I use them for. And that's sort of what this article yeah, is, sure. is focusing yep. on. Um, but I think it's really hit its, its stride. Like this article mentions the Apple Watch Series 3 starting at 329. I, I seriously doubt that's what people are wearing. I think the vast majority are going to be using those much cheaper, like um, yeah, the, two, the two, 269, I think. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Or even like I've, I, I even know some people who bought like the 38 millimeter because, you know, that 50 bucks makes a difference, right? Yeah, and you don't really shave off that much off the size anyways. And if you if you want right. a, a physically smaller watch, which um, I guess some people would, it's certainly fashion-wise, it seems like larger watches in general are the fashion of the day, I guess. And it's sort of weird to, to, to think about people still believing the Apple Watch is like big and clunky. And then you, you watch Google I.O.'s presentation and everybody's wearing these, I think they're Motorola or, or similar Android Wear watches. And it, it looks like they have like either a beer can or a can of tuna on their wrist. <laughs> it's ridiculously large. Yeah, to, chewing tobacco. Oh, right <laughs> <laughs> they got their snuff right there easy for easy access yeah yeah for sure hmm. yeah well that's what happens when you go around i guess um yeah so what's next the next story is uh mark i guess right yeah so we've been talking for a couple of years now about apple and their uh interest or or attempts to to make self-driving cars or 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 just get into the car market in general and uh it's always been sort of shrouded in mystery what's going on and you know, we know that there are some out on the streets that you see but but not a lot of details of what's actually happening. Well, the New York Times put out an article today which has a little bit of interesting information. Uh, apparently, Apple's been trying to find a, a partnership uh, with a couple of uh, car makers like BMW and Mercedes, and and it seems like we're turned down by them. Uh, so they've made a deal with Volkswagen to convert some of their new Volkswagen's T6 transporter vans into, turns out, self-driving shuttles for Apple hmm. employees to shuttle them back and forth between the the different campuses. It's kind of an interesting twist on the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, so this just came out today. So the hot news, it's not a super lot of information in these articles, but in the New York Times article, but but it is kind of interesting. They're saying that uh, uh, this has been going on, let's see, it doesn't say how long it's been going on, but but this definitely replaces the effort that was going on here a couple of years ago, here in Silicon Valley, where they were planning to build an R&D lab. Uh, They never did that, but they're doing this partnership instead. Now, supposedly it was supposed to be done by the end of this year, uh, but it looks like that deadline is not going to happen according to a source here. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. So we'll we'll have to keep an eye out for that, whether whether we start seeing Volkswagen buses driving Apple employees around around town. Yeah, it's inter- well, it's kind of a kind of a short circuit really, because in terms of, you know, how you go from one from Infinity Loop to, to Apple Park, right? It's kind of, you know, a couple of roads you can take a couple of routes right and i think if, if a car a self-driving car was doing the same route every day it would kind of you know it could learn a lot about that particular route right yeah so, for sure yeah you know yep. it's funny because you know in terms of self-driving technologies i mean apple or sorry uh, vancouver has had they have a light transit that runs on a rail and admittedly i will it's a rail service but it's like a, a what do they call it now i forget what they call it this has a name i'll, I'll look it up and I'll, I'll put it in show notes but um since nine since 86 the expo 86 that they, that they 
they held in Vancouver. They've had this self-driving train system, you know, um, that has no attendant on it. And, and you know, people have been shuttling around Vancouver for, for eons, you know, since since that time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like the technology is not there to be able to kind of deal with, you know, this stuff and, you know, people you know, shuttling people back and forth uh, and stuff like well, that. Well, it's a whole lot harder to have cars driving on regular roads. Than it is no, I, that's what I mean. That's driving. not about it. Yeah. Admittedly, a closed loop that it's, it's a monorail, you know, so right. I mean, it's not like it can go off the rails as it were, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been running for free owns. But I mean, like, you know, from the point of view of like how unpredictable human beings can be getting on and off of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like all the subway systems we have here in, in Toronto and I know in New York, in New York, and pretty sure they have, yeah, it's, I think I saw them in Washington as well. There's always an attendant who has to be in the middle of the train that sort of, you know, watch for people running, getting on and off the trains to make sure that the doors don't close on people and stuff like that, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, so I, it makes sense. Like, I think, I think, like, even, I think most of the big campuses down there, like, like Facebook, you know, you don't park on, you go to visit Facebook, you don't park in Facebook, you park like in one of the parking lots on the outskirts and you get shuttled in by a driver, you know, onto campus. Right? Actually, at yeah. Facebook, they have valet parking that you pretty much have to use. You can't, you can't just park your own car. You, you pull into their giant lot and yeah, there's a valet yeah, yeah. there who takes your car and parks it somewhere. Oh, really? When I went there, I was just a little, I just found a little spot to park my car and then went and went to the local, you know, nearby shuttle stop and oh, okay. shuttled me in. Yeah, it wasn't, I, I don't know, I guess it was just a small one, but mm-hmm. it crossed the highway, you know, the big highway you, you were talking about the other day, the number one, I guess, or whatever. That's the 101. 101, yeah. So we, I parked on the opposite side from where Facebook campus was. All right, that's... Shuttled across the way, right? Yeah. Or maybe, maybe it's 84, depending on, well, who knows? I don't know. There were a lot of cars on it yeah. and they went fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but yeah, it's just, the point was about, uh, about getting shuttled. But I mean, like that would be a case there where you could also it could be the same route that the the um the you know the shuttle would be taking driven by a human being could could be replaced by a self-driving car that would get used to the yeah the you, traffic. Could, you could take uh dianza all the way up to homestead and cut all the way across or or get on to 280 freeway get off at wolf or take right. stevens creek over to wolf okay I'm, I'm an episode of the californians now <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally 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 uh yeah this is the scary part is i knew exactly what yeah you i knew it yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was doing that on purpose too much visiting of apple um yeah so uh yeah so jaime why don't you take this one this this uh next story on the musical device from Apple? yeah a couple different stories uh this one we're going to look at from nine five mac that uh strategy analytics came out with a report covering the smart speaker market during the q1 of 2018 and uh, the claim here is that apple shipped and shipped is different than sold uh, shipped just over half a million home pods that would be six hundred thousand ish in uh in the quarter uh which apparently comes out to about ten percent in terms of market share compared to uh, market leader Amazon at like 43.6, Google increasing up to 26.5. And then apparently the number three is is surprising to me. I didn't realize that uh, Alibaba's speaker was ranked so high. So Mm -hmm. a couple different things coming out of this report. I mean, for me, you know, the HomePod wasn't even out for all of the quarter. It came out sometime in February, first or second week of February, I think. And, you know, it's a much more expensive device. Uh, I do think it was a pretty big mess by Apple to um, have to delay the device's release until February and critically miss the holiday season. So this article mentions about the possibility of a lower priced model coming out, which I would not expect at WWDC. And if it does in fact come out, I would think it'd come out in September, October, just in time for this holidays. And I I think they can help catch up with uh, some of the market share there. I mean, but let's be honest, if you're comparing uh, a device that starts at 349 US to ones that start at 49, you do the math, which one is going to sell more? I don't think it's all about necessarily selling more. If you look at what Apple has sort of traditionally done with, let's say, like smartphones, they come out with the, hey, here's an even more expensive phone. Guess what? We have even right. a larger percentage of the profits 
this. Um, and if you're using a HomePod, like, and you're not somehow, you know, subscribing to Apple Music with it, you're kind of missing out on half the point of it. So if they can convince you to buy a HomePod because you you believe it's great as a music um, source, right, as, as a speaker, uh, maybe you, you kind of wanted to try it as, uh, well, maybe I can do, you know, kitchen timers and, and other things or, or use it for home automation. And then you say, you know what, I'm kind of missing out. I'm going to, you know, upsell or cross-sell myself into, uh, you know, a $9.99. Yeah, like, let's call it $10 a month Apple Music subscription. Like, that's just better and better with everything, right? Like, I think this is where it's it's not necessary that Apple, in my mind, necessarily has the, the biggest market share on this, but it, it definitely does need to make sure it maintains some market share. And, and as I was saying in the pre-show, I really want to see them have a, a really good, solid developer story for this to make it exciting for us to build for it. And therefore, a virtuous cycle for people to want to buy, oh, I want to get the Apple HomePod because it does X, Y, and Z. Cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, I guess, that, that both did both of these authors sort of um, take the same angle on, on that report? I guess they must have, right? Yeah, I mean, the the I think the 9 to 5 Mac is a little bit more you know, just the facts and the, the Verge yeah. article is a little bit more talking about and sort of like the, the downside of, of things of like, you know, HomePod's kind of off to a slower start that you would expect. And, right, right. But for me, I'm like, well, you missed the holiday season and it's more expensive to begin with and you cut out critical features like AirPlay 2 and, and other bits to, to meet the shipping date, the already delayed shipping date. Like, yeah, it didn't really come out with the, the best foot forward. But I think just similar to the Amazon Echo that sorted out started out sort of slow and then people saw them in other people's homes, I think it has more of a, a viral aspect to it. So I'd expect it to get more popular as more people encounter other people in their lives who have them and say, holy smokes, that sounds great. I want to get one of those too. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen Simon Sinek's talk on, and we talked about it a number of times, there's a, a you know, the start with why um, piece, but he's there's one where he talks about this bell curve um, and the early adopters. He says, you can you can fall out of bed and sell the first 10 to 15% of, of any market um, because your early adopters are just going just to buy it because it's shiny and got an apple on it, right? And it's getting into that next sort of, you know, 20% or so that, that, that is, the ch- is the challenge. And I mean, so like you look at the numbers here, you know, Apple's already got 10% of the market according to this this report. So that's a, that's a good sign that, you know, um, that's the sign that people are going to buy people who have bought who would have bought it anyway have bought their their devices right um and and again it's it's only in the u.s right now right like we we don't have it here in canada i do know a few people in in canada who you know made the made the drive down to buffalo or or visited the states and and they're all happy with the the um the home pod they all speak really highly of it right so um be interesting to see what happens once it starts to grow a bit more more hype right and i think bringing out bringing out a second model obviously is going to raise people's interest in in you know the first one or even the second one right yeah it's similar to what we talked about with the Apple Watch, where I, I don't believe there's a lot of people buying the uh, 42 millimeter most expensive Series Three. They're yeah. probably buying the holy book. This is like 269 or or a buck 69, whatever it is for the the cheapest Apple Watch that they offer now. And they they get their feet wet. And if they decide they like it, maybe they upgrade for subsequent versions. And I don't know if it's the industry that I'm in or the the location I'm in, but um, you know, I see more and more um, Apple watches every day. Like you know, I'm surprised at how much how often I see them. And I even see the ones with little red dots on them, which means that people bought the the you know the white the Wi-Fi one, right? So the LTE one, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, LTE, that's what I meant. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, um, yeah. So that that in itself is a, is an interesting thing. Or you see, or you see the ones you know with the stainless steel body, and you know people bought them not just because I mean you know you, you know if you look at practicality and you kind of go you know feature to feature, there's no difference other than aesthetics from one to the other, right? So it's interesting to see what people's choices are, and they'll they'll spend the extra bucks to get the nice shiny you know stainless steel one, right? Indeed. Although that ceramic one looks pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, again, Carol left a story out for me this morning. 
um, just a, 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 it was a report out of the um, out of USA Today. It was picked up by the Toronto Stars. You know, newspapers do um, that. There's a couple of tricks, and I tried this myself with Siri this morning, and I couldn't get it to do it. But apparently, Siri has a few things up her sleeve, as it were. Uh, coming out at WWDC is what the prediction is. Um, that you, if you ask uh, sh- uh, Siri what's going on, I asked her to, to tell me about WWDC conference, and she just matter of fact told me it was like you know happening in June 4th to 8th in San Jose, and you know that's it. But in this article here, apparently um, Siri may tell you you know things like I'm going to have a shiny new home, and well, not really shiny, more meshy and matte, which sounds like networking kind of stuff. Wait a minute, uh, hold on, hold on. Is is this? Did they not update Siri? Because that sounds like something it would have said for last year when the HomePod was going to be announced. Oh, really? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Because it has that that sort of a matte finish and it has a mesh around the speaker. That's true. Now you say that, yeah. yeah. yeah this came out, this is released, this is May 22nd, 2018, which is, we're recording on the 23rd. Mm-hmm. And, or La 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 series getting a brand new voice. Did we get a new brand new voice last year from Siri? We did. Remember they had the machine learning blog post that we talked about where they yeah. said, oh, this is how we made the sub phonemes. This needs a fact check for sure. It's, it's like, oh, wait a minute. What? Yeah, why would they publish this today? And I saw this at a few other places too. Very strange. Hmm. Well, it, well, one, does Siri even have the right date for WWDC when you ask it? <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> okay, so that's no, good. No, that's... I mean, it's, it, this didn't work for me. Like I said, it, she just she just parroted out what what uh, what's happening here. I'm just going to look at this. Uh, Siri, this tell me about the WWDC conference. <clears throat> I'm trying it. Didn't work. Hold on. You're not listening to. You. She's not talking to you anymore. No. Siri, tell me about WWDC. Apple's 2018 Worldwide Developers Conference will be held at the McEnery Convention Center in San Jose, California, from June 4th through June 8th. Oh, I knew that already. <laughs> All right. Well, that's exactly what she said to me this morning. But I just wondered why that. Why would they publish this article today? Well, so here's the thing. What if it did, in fact? Okay, what time was this article published? Wait, is this fake news? What's going on? No, like imagine this. So imagine that it has not been updated. Siri has not been updated. People try out this stuff because we're getting close to dub dub. They're like, hmm, what is this news articles like this one in the Star come out? Somebody yeah. in Apple wakes up. They're they're having their you know breakfast burrito and some coffee, and they say, oh no, did we did nobody decommission that? We need to go quick go patch <laughs> that software so it doesn't say that anymore. And now it doesn't say it. So it was oh. true in time. Yeah, that, that's kind of, kind of I, I, like what I mean. I was sort of saying I think it's yeah. Here's another article today. Same same story from actual from USA Today this time. Um, from the same author, same word word for word, same thing. Hmm. Yeah, all these original source USA Today. Jefferson Graham mm. published at 7:41 p.m. May 21st, 2018, and then updated. You know, yesterday, May 22nd. I mean, it's a it's a web service underneath the covers, right? So it's not as if yeah. you know, if like iOS 11 itself tells you something, it's like, oh, like that, that's going to be broken until the next point release comes out, right? This is the sort of thing they can just change once it comes to their attention. Yeah, and then they re- they recap what what's uh, what happened to Serial all along, along along the way. You know, being introduced in 2011, and then 2013 gets a new interface, new smoother voice. 2014 hands free operation from the phones by saying, "Hey Siri, uh, apologies to listeners." Um, uh, more proactive answers and questions, and then oh, 2016. I looked up yep. the actual original article on USA Today's website, and it says, "Corrections and clarifications." An earlier version of this story indicated Siri's answers pertain to WWDC 2018. They were from last year. So, so the the, the responses were related to last year's WWDC, but they were asked today, though, right? Uh, okay. Not clear. So that clarification needs clarification. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm still unclear what actually happened here. So where did you? Where, can you post that in the show notes there, Mark? Yep. So I can look at. What a waste of time. Listen to this podcast anyway. Like both 
both uh, the Amazon Echo and the Google Home have been very frustrating, or like right around the time that um, let's say like a sports season comes to end, and you'd be like, oh, you know, who's the current NBA? You know, sorry, when is the when are the NBA finals? Right, and for a very long period of time, we'd be like, oh, you know, the, oh my gosh, I don't even remember who won last year's NBA finals. Was it the Cavaliers? Yes, right. Well, we need to fact check. Let's pretend it's the Cavaliers because if not, it was the Golden State Warriors. Um, you know, well, you know, the Golden State Warriors, you know, were defeated by the Cavaliers, or the Cavaliers defeated, you know, such and such. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to know when the next one is, right? Like, that's really my intent was, but it hasn't it hasn't been updated for that sort of case. I'm guessing that's what happened here. The article says Apple did not respond to a request for comment on series plans Monday, but on Tuesday, Apple said those would be series teases were from a year ago. It's removed the teases and instead swapped them with a terse directive to get all the details about Apple's 2018 WWDC at Apple.com. So they were they were responding with the wrong thing. Yeah, they were they were using last year's data and then fix it when they found okay. So the story let's as you said, honey. so the story isn't that we're reporting on stuff that was available last year. We're I guess the story is that Siri was responding yeah. with stale information. Exactly. Right. Right. And uh, real time follow up: the Golden State Warriors are uh, the 2017 NBA champs. And I got confused <laughs> because it's been the, the Warriors and the Cavaliers for the last three years, and it probably will be them this year too. So. Apologies for getting that incorrect. Well, unlikely that uh, that the Cavaliers will make the make the championship this year, since the Celtics are now leading three to two as of today. Oh, oh, see, I, I missed that one. Yeah, game just ended maybe fifteen minutes ago. Okay, go Boston. Probably by the time people hear the show, the series will be over, though. That's kind of interesting. Hmm. Maybe not. So, what have we learned by this about this series kerfuffle? One uh, similar to many things in software, and I've certainly run across this. Where um, let's say you have something that's like a, a feature flag or an experiment of some sort. Sure. And everybody's really excited to get that experiment up for your pilot group, and then they're excited to make it generally available. Nobody ever remembers to, to turn it know, off. Turn stuff yeah, off. you know, yeah. make it a basic part of the code, or say, "Oh, uh, we really didn't want that anymore. Let's get rid of it." It sort of just languishes. So the, the life cycle of these sorts of things, uh, A/B tests, all sure. the same thing. Like, you know, if you're going to do this sort of uh, time-based thing, um, you probably should have like a calendar reminder to remind you to remove it. Well, so it probably was set to start to to run like the last week of May just before WWDC to drive it some interest, right? And, and as we said last week and the week before, dates are hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Somebody forgot to put the year in there, right? Somebody wasn't using NS calendar. They were just straight up doing math on the, the raw yeah. NS date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poor people. Oh, well. Okay. Well, I guess we'll move on to some actual stories, <laughs> if we have any left. Um, oh, this is an interesting one. So I, I posted this. It has nothing to do with, with any of this stuff that we're talking about, but it, it does have to do with security and, and um, um, updates and stuff like that. And it's a piece that was posted on um, Quora.com. Um, the question is, what is the most sophisticated piece of software ever written? And the author of this article talks about this this particular virus that came out, I think it was around 10 years ago, um, that, you know, was was spread by USB sticks, where people stick in USB sticks in their PCs. And and as soon as it gets on to, gets copied, it copies itself over to your PC and installs itself. And then it tries to, tries to launch itself three different ways. And at the time, it used two of the ways that that it was using weren't even known about as as Windows um, uh, vulnerabilities, right? And then once it's installed, it tries to get admin access. And again, it was using more ways that weren't um, known about. Um, and and you know, just just the act of doing those kind of things, you know, ten years ago was pretty sophisticated. And the next thing it did was it it covered up its track, so it would go through and sort of remove all the re- references to itself. Um, so if you even looked on the disk where where it was originally installed, it would it wouldn't be there, kind of thing. And then uh, next. 
next thing it tried to do was get internet access. And if it got internet access, it would act, it would access two servers, one in Malaysia, one in Denmark, one of those two and update itself, like update the code. Right. Um, and then it would, and of course, you know, any, any subsequent USB sticks you stuck in, in the machine would, uh, in the PC would, would copy, get new fresh copies of this thing and, and it would start spreading itself elsewhere. This is basically a worm we're talking about. Right. And then it even signed its, it signed itself with some certificates from, um, real certificate providers, but without the, without those providers even realizing that it had done this thing. But so, but what was interesting about it was, was as, it, and it just kept going on and on and getting more, more sophisticated in terms of how it was able to exploit the whole Windows PC kind of thing. And eventually it targeted centrifuges, right? And it partic- looked for particular types of motors by, made by Siemens, right? And it would, it would infect these motors and it would spin them up like faster or slower than, um, than, you know, the was safe. In fact, it could, it, if it wanted to, it could spin the, the motors to the point where they would actually explode and, you know, crack and have bits flying across the room kind of thing and taking out people if they wanted. But they didn't do that. They, they just, they sped it up just a little bit or sped or, or slowed it down just a little bit so that it would, and, but it would change the reporting of the speed of the motor in such a way that it would appear in you know, like in Mission Impossible where, you know, you have the, the, the video camera and they put the false image in front of the video camera. So it doesn't look like Tom Cruise is running down the hallway kind of thing. So it would do the same sort of thing. It would fake the reporting of the speed of the motor to look like it was running within spec, right? And what it was doing was targeting machine, uh, targeting centrifuges that were used in the man, in the purification of uranium in Iran, right? So it was it was an exploit, a worm that was exploiting, trying to stop the production of nuclear weapons in Iran. And isn't that a pretty sophisticated piece of software? Yeah, it goes yep. through a lot of hoops to to do you know, a very targeted sort of thing, and, yeah. and in a way that would be difficult to notice that something was happening which is i think the most insidious thing like you know it sucks if you get some ransomware and it's like hey we've encrypted your hard drive like yeah, yeah. It sucks to be you give me some bitcoins right um but that's that's like at least that's in your in your face and you can you can know that there is a problem and you can mitigate it in some way and, and hopefully you've got time machine backups or something that you can deal with um, right right but something that you don't even know that you're owned like that's the worst possible one to me yeah this is the stuxnet worm by the way in case you're wondering what the name of the worm was but yeah and it was but I mean, amazingly targeted thing, and and it apparently affected like gazillion computers around the world. Like, there's a chart here on this article. Oh no, where was the article? Oh, oh, if you click on the link here and go to the semantic.com site, there's a chart that shows the infected machines where they're located. Um, and if you look at the infected hosts, up over sixty thousand infected hosts were in Iran alone. Um, you know, over ten thousand in Indonesia, and then like you know, minimal the rest of the countries around the world. The U.S. was you know a couple of three thousand. It looks like here according to this chart, right? So amazingly like targeted piece of software that, that was specifically looking for centrifuges being run in Iran. Weird, eh? Yeah, it's it's kind of a more modern version of something that's, I don't know if it actually happens, I apologize if it's like the plot to a movie or something, but <laughs> something I heard many moons ago is that during the uh, during the 1980s, during the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union, supposedly, allegedly, um, the US government had figured out that the Soviets were getting some sort of like heavy machinery, like industrial type machinery that that wasn't supposed to be accessible to them, but similar to the the ZTE phone things, were like somebody sold to somebody else, sold to somebody else, which then ultimately you know illegally exported um, American technology to people who were on do not purchase lists or, or do not sell lists. Right, right. <laughs> and this sort of machinery, uh, industrial machinery, was programmable in some sort of way. So the uh, you know the spooks got in and, and added some sort of software that would, at some random point, cause the machinery to go wild and catastrophically destroy itself and, and probably 
cause a really big uh, ruckus to, to see, uh, the least at uh, mm-hmm. at whatever factory it was that was happening. And supposedly this actually did happen and, and shut down like like an oil refinery or something in the Soviet but Union. similar to this, actually, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if this sort of thing was, was still going on and it's sort of this cat and mouse game because it's it's kind of a nice way, right? Like, it's, it's hard it's hard to pinpoint, like, who exactly is responsible for this. Uh, what are you going to do? Say, hey, um, how dare you put this, like, you know, this worm on this technology I'm not supposed to have, right? Like, there's there's no way to, to, to do the publicity, uh, the public relations sort of side of this. It was, it's very sort of sneaky and insidious, but the, the engineering side of it is, is really interesting and cool to see, like, you know, how, how do you even test out this yeah. sort of thing, right? How do you, how do you, you just wing it and hope it makes it through? Sure. Have, you, have you ever heard of the cuckoo's egg? Have you heard, that, you know, have you ever heard of Clifford Stahl? Have you, oh. have you heard of him? Nope. So, so the cuckoo's egg is, is an interesting story about a, a, a Unix um, exploit that happened, you know, back in the early mainframe days. I guess it might have not even been Unix, right? But Clifford Stahl was, was a guy who was, um, you know, was interested in computers and stuff like that. And he got, I think it was at Berkeley or somewhere like that. He got this job because, um, you know, you wanted to get computer time, which what the thing was. And so by by being, uh, by either working as or volunteering to work on these uh, systems and, you know, manage logs and look at things and just keep an eye on the systems, he could trade that for computer time, right? And so one day he was there and he noticed this one particular entry in the log of, of this particular uh, university professor who logged in at like some really odd time, like 2.30 in the morning when the, you know, nobody was in, in the university and he thought, he just thought that was really weird. He kind of mentioned it to his his supervisor or whatever and like I guess, well, I'll just keep an eye on it. Let's see what happens. And it kept happening, you know, it, and it would be odd times. It would always be like, you know, in the wee hours of the morning. And then so so he was curious about it. So he looked up this professor's ID and he went and, and he went and found out that the professor was actually on a sabbatical and hadn't been in on campus in two years or something like that, right? And so he started following this thing and he started tracing it back. And this is back in the early days when, you know, you connected by by telephone modem, like the, the handset and the acoustic couplers and all that kind of stuff, right? And he, so he started talking, investigating and got got on, eventually got on to the police and then the FBI and stuff like that, trying to figure out where this, where this person was coming from that was coming in and using the computer time, trying to, you know, break into the, into the, into the, the I guess this would be an early internet too, right? And it turned out that, you know, after he investigated things, it's a great book, like goes on for, you know, months and months and months. And eventually he finds out that it's somebody in, in uh, um, Europe, like Germany or something like that has been, has been using this exploit to get into, try and get into this computer in the States, right? And how they figure that out was, was a command would get executed and then there would be a pause, right? And then another command would get executed as if, you know, somebody was, you know, entering some stuff, waiting for feedback on their, on their monitor and then reacting to that feedback. And so they figured out based on the amount of time it took for the signal to go from the, between, you know, between commands that they, you know, and based on telephone technology at the time, they figured out where in, like how far in Europe or how far around the world away this, this guy would have had to have been, right? And then they pinpoint, they eventually arrested some guy in in Germany that I think Interpol got involved and they found this guy. So what he, what he had done was the, the, the piece of software he put in there is called a cuckoo's egg. And he would basically plant this piece of software into the, into the mainframe or onto the, I guess the mainframe. And then it would basically wait until the system was rebooted, right? And then when it rebooted, it would initialize and, um, and create this, this backdoor for this guy, right? And that's where the whole idea, that's why the book is called a cuckoo's egg because, because he planted this software that would, you know, um, basically exploit this thing. And, it, and Clifford Stoll ended up having this whole career as a, as, as a computer consultant and lecturer and speaker and all that kind of stuff simply because of this one particular little virus that he wrote about years and years ago. Or not virus, but exploit, right? I mean, that's called a cuckoo's egg. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Early computer lore. Yeah, I have to check it out. Mm-hmm. I have a, 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 like 
a dog-eared version of it upstairs somewhere in a box. All right. Um, so back to reality. So yeah. So the next piece is from me. I, uh, one of one of the uh, people I follow on uh, a colleague I worked with uh, years and years ago uh, posts some interesting things on on um, LinkedIn. And this particular link he put there this morning, I thought was really cool when I followed it. It's actually a link to the. I, I don't. I think we've talked about Apple's forays into social networking and and blogging and all that kind of stuff. But in of particular interest to us, there's an entire series of these little one minute long podcasts that Apple does uh, on Apple in business. And it's got little little episodes like, you know, how to use workflow automation, you know, the workflow software or how to manage your Shopify store, how to use, how to collaborate with pages and numbers and things like that and documents. And um, if you follow this um, link and you go through the different categories that they have here, it opens up into iTunes on your on your Mac. Um, there's a whole series of these little, little sound bites that Apple's producing. So, I, you know, kind of how we, we kind of wondered what Apple's entry into podcasting was. It was last year they did the podcast studio, right? Was it last year? I think it might have been last year. Yeah. Or the year before. Anyway, just sort of interesting thing that Apple is Apple is taking advantage of this whole podcasting technology or podcasting, you know, interest to to create these little tidbits for people. So, and of course, you know, part of their whole learning thing. And um, I followed it down a couple of little rabbit holes and found all kinds of different uh, different things. And they're like video podcasts, so there's some, you know, some clips and uh, stuff on that. Like they've got, you know, they obviously want to talk up their their uh, Apple and Enterprise kind of um, stuff and connected restaurants and you know it's there's tons of content that they've been putting out and, you know who knew until we pointed it out not many people I guess right yeah I had no idea this was here <laughs> yeah and there's tons of content you know like you know squares on here and you know a Shopify uh, workflow which we mentioned already um, yeah using video you know rail systems uh, Tokyo Metro how mm-hmm. Apple is basically out there doing its thing and this whole series of tech talks and customer stories and things like that um, tons and tons of things in here oh there's even that one about the I think IBM what if this IBM stories are about their uh, their uh, stuff we talked about before, where the um, you know, people are choosing Macs as opposed to Windows machines, right? Mm-hmm. Could, be. Could be stuff on Cisco, Redlands P- Police Department use of Apple technology. You know, tons of stuff. You could get lost in here for days. <laughs> I guess if you add up all the minutes, it's quite a few, a couple of hours worth of stuff, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> There's one on Rogers O'Brien. Who's that? Isn't that your telecom company? Uh, no, no, just Rogers. Oh. Somebody else. Yeah, you know, Shopify. Well, friends of ours at uh, our taco, you know, work at Shopify. And by the way, Tulip was the name of the company. I couldn't remember last week that uh, I mentioned a friend from uh, uh, who hosted our last uh, taco. I can't remember what they do now. <laughs> I, mean, I just thought it was kind of cool. This These uh, Apple podcasts that nobody seems to know about. Yeah. FreshBooks is, uh, is on there too. I know because yeah. I scrolled over to see the, the more. Um, I think workflow is one of those things we're going to have to keep an eye out for in mm-hmm. our um, WWDC sort of predictions episode sure. because I was just listening to another podcast today and they, they made this weird offhand comment they're like oh i guess it was just an equi hire which like wait 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 hold on they acquired the workflow folks like just before wwdc last year it was really unreasonable to think oh yeah right, like, we'll right. just you know slap a new logo on there and call it good apple workflow um i don't think that was going to happen i think if you're going to see anything this wwdc is going to be the one right because they're, they're not going to just integrate it into their software in 20 minutes i mean look at the other acquisitions like bursley's test flight and how long that took to integrate into the mothership though and buddy build too right buddy build's still going people are still using buddy build yeah yeah and 
and and I imagine it won't be like instantaneous. Like, oh yeah, like they're going to show something at WWDC that's Buddy Bell related. Like, well, maybe, but it might also come later, right? It might be next year as they they start integrating these things. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I just submitted two updates recently. Like, I did one a couple of nights ago, and I just one did one just before the show here. I mean, like you know, I'm about to record a podcast. You know, two three years ago, I would never thought of of, of uploading a, a build to, to Apple. You know, an hour before a podcast, right? Because you know, you'd open up a whole can of worms when you did that. But it's amazing, like now with this automatic signing and the, you know the stripping the bit you know, the Swift code and and bit code and all that kind of stuff. It's amazing, like how well this kind of stuff happens now, right? And and these are just subtle updates that you know may or may not have come out of the whole buddy build acquisition. I don't know, right? So it never really I played around with it a few times, but um, you know, it's kind of like I think Mark knows what I'm talking about. We used to pull our hair out literally, um, you know, five ten years ago when we we're trying to upload stuff to the app store, right? Oh yeah. Now it's just seamless, right? Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I use Workflow all the time. I don't know about you guys, but I have a couple. I have one that uh, if I want to remind myself, I use reminders, right, through Workflow, and I just basically I have an at work one, I have an at home one, and so if I if I want to call like you know an insurance guy or something that I want to do when I'm at work, I just you know hit the hit this one and just enter in a couple of lines, and next thing you know, I get to work and my you know my phone goes, oh, don't forget to call the insurance guy, kind of thing, right? So I use that all the time, and I'm sure there's tons more you can do with it than, than I'm even doing. Cool product, anyway. So Jaime, you got something here for us about the App Store, speaking of which? Yes, this is from uh, Koivin's website, subtraction.com. And, and Tim, I thought you might like this one. It's a, a post focusing on illustrations in the App Store. So mm-hmm. regardless of what you may think about, you know, the new App Store's design from a, you know, usability standpoint or how it impacts uh, the haves and have-nots in the App Store, what we can all agree on is that these illustrations are freaking awesome. Like, yeah. the, the, the sort of editorial illustrations that they've um, commissioned, for lack of a better word, because I, I don't think these are all uh, Apple employees necessarily creating these, nope. uh, certainly on behalf of Apple, but the art style designs are, are, are so interesting. You've got like kind of a, a hot rod magazine sort of style for the cars. You have a, um, I don't know what to call this. Uh, here we would call it colored pencil, but I think if that sounds vaguely racist to you, you can go with uh, crayon pencil <laughs> <laughs> uh, drawings. You've Conte got sort crayon. Of, it's Conte crayon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got like a, uh, what is it? Super world of gumball or adventurous world of gumball sort of thing That's for the NBA as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of an Archie comic, like the more realistic Archie comics style. You've got uh, like a New Yorker style. You've got a superhero style. They've got photos. They've got, um, I don't know what this art style is, but it's like a collage sort of thing. And yeah, photo collage, like, yeah. Photo montage, I would call that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like an incredible amount of, of, of different art styles that they're using to, to draw attention, even to the point where like this serve your community one is, uh, I assume that's hand drawn, you know, line art, like a pencil graphite sort of, uh, or charcoal perhaps sort of drawings that are like, you know, photorealistic or at least, you know, very close to it. Right. Yeah. No, it's cool. And, and it, there's a link at the very bottom of it. If you click on it, it goes to Pinterest.com. And they've actually, this, I guess the author of this has uh, made a board on Pinterest to these illustrations as well. I'm not sure if it's the same guy or not. His uh, icon is a Batman, or Adam West and a cowl. Um, yeah, but, and he's just got, he's got them all marked with a, with a date like April 2018 or May or whatever. Just all these different snapshots of all these different illustrative styles. It's interesting. You know, it's funny. I was just a friend of mine across the street is an illustrator and, and he was just talking about how it's tough to get um, gigs these days. And I wonder if this is uh, this is a sort of open door here for people like that. But it, you're right. It's, it's that, you know, um, popular mechanic style in some cases and, you know, Archie comics and like you mentioned, right? Some of them are arty and you know, sketch, sketch, sketch style, you know? Yeah, but I'd like to see, seeing as I mentioned, the, the Hot Rod magazine or, or Car magazine, I forget what it was. It was pretty big in the 1980s um, mm-hmm. where they had like a Rat Fink style of art uh, that was pretty common. 
common for the you know the hand drawn uh, automobile related comic strips inside. Yeah, I'd like no, to see them. You, one of these is one of these is uh, is uh, one password, right? And it looks like a, this is a piece of artwork they would have supplied um, for the for the graphic for the app of the day kind of thing, right? I want because I know that when you get app of the day, you're asked to produce uh, or whenever you got featured, you're asked to produce some sort of um, artwork with that. So I don't know if you think Apple's curating this or or maybe suggesting it or something, but people are uh, setting up their own stuff or yeah, I guess it might vary if if it's a specific app like One Password, uh, as we, as you mentioned, their yeah. One Point Password Seven just just came out and, and was featured. I, I can imagine they probably ask you know the the app in question to provide artwork, but I think for some of these that are more like, hey, here's this category of stuff you can do for Mother's Day. Um, right, presumably right. that's Apple's own commissioned art. True. Well, they do have a whole. Uh, I mean, every country like Canada has a iTunes office, and I know that obviously they have must have a big one down in in the states as well, right? So, but you know, all the different stores around the world um, have. Um, some sort of curate, you know, people who basically choose what's going to be featured on their stores and so on and so forth. But you're right, it, it is interesting looking stuff. I hadn't really noticed it. I don't really spend much time on the app store anymore. <laughs> who finds who finds apps that way? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a kind of an interesting point, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, uh, shadow pick of the day because we're just about at the point of doing picks. I would guess one password seven. But I, I have not tried it myself. I will update I just, yeah, after just the show before the show actually too. Yeah, oh. it's it's pretty has yeah, its own uh, font face. Uh, Sorry, uh, typeface. Does it? Yes. Oh. I forget what it's called, but um, oh. as is pretty common for anybody who's getting large enough where the, you know, if you weren't using sort of standard oh, system right. fonts, if you get to large enough scale, the pricing of the um, right, licensing right. fees get way too high. So Netflix sure. came out with Netflix Sans and Airbnb came out with Airbnb Serial, I think they called it. Yeah. Um, a lot of companies are doing that because, you know, it, it, it's, it costs a lot and you have millions upon millions of users. It's better to just control your own destiny on the, on that and have your own custom font that you don't have to pay licensee fees for then you can control like well you know is it optimized for screens what kind of screens you know what sort of distance uh can it be used on billboards so we don't have like yet another typeface uh and branding sort of thing for you know posters you might have in, in you know Times square and that sort of thing so uh, hmm. i don't know if one password is is at that level but it certainly seems to me that if they're uh, if they've got enough users i mean that's the sort of choice i might make too right start with a start with a nice um, like Helvetica variant and then sort of go from there. So I'm looking at the uh, about, we were talking about a couple of weeks ago about how to um, do attributions right on your apps. So this is uh, the about screen on uh, 1Password 7 on macOS. Um, you know, lovingly crafted by Agile Bits in Toronto, Lansing, St. Thomas, Ontario, Aurora, Piano, Texas, Edinburgh, Ontario, San Francisco, and so on. So Cupertino, they list a whole bunch of different places and then they've got uh, special thanks to and a bunch of people that they pulled out there, Coco HD server, for instance, Flying Dolphin Studio, and a bunch of other people named in here. So I think I was looking for that. Um, is it would, is there something here? Copyright 2011 Doosty LLC. I don't know who they are. I was looking to see if I could find the font name. Maybe they mentioned it here. I found a news article that says Courier Prime Bits. Oh, Bits. Okay, that makes sense. And then they've got a whole sort of uh, software is provided for the copyright holders and contributors as is, expressed or implied and warranties, blah, 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 blah. You know, typical thing here. Um, hmm. Yeah, so I, I think uh, a few people were asking about where, where, how do you do attribution? And 
and uh, here's an example of how they do it. Put it in an in and about screen with all this, you know, scrolling, still scrolling, 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 scrolling. All the people that, uh, pieces that they use, uh, libraries that they use in the app, they've called out the individual developers and companies who've made them, so on and so forth. Cool. So, yeah, it, like I said, it does look, let's look good. I haven't really uh, played around with it too much, but, uh, oh, by the way, I did uh, I did sign, finally sign up for those of you following at home. Um, I did eventually sign up for the uh, the online version of the, of the um, one password a couple of weeks ago, and it was pretty seamless. It took like a couple of minutes for them to import. I remember you said when you first did it, Jaime, you had to move all your stuff over. For me, it was, uh, I just, I took like maybe 10 minutes or not even to, uh, for them to sync my, my vault with their vault. So I'm still rocking two vaults though. Do you, do you turn, did you turn your, your, um, local one off or? No, I'm afraid to. So <laughs> yeah, my local vault has nothing in it, but because everything's been moved to the online vault. Yeah. Um, it's cause I'm unreasonably paranoid about, you know, any sort of weirdo bug if I delete that vault. So yeah, me too. Like I, I, I still have my primary one on, on, um, Dropbox, but my, my, the personal one that I've created now under my uh, one password account is the one, the one I'm doing new stuff in. Right. But, and you're right. So I've got double, I have double entries because they're uh, coming from both vaults. So I think you can turn one or the other off, right? Or, oh, I, I don't even have double entries. I, you, there's a move, or there's a copy to vault. And then there's also a move to vault. Right. And right. I think with a few of them, I experimented with copy, realized right. it was okay. So I moved them all, but I still have that other vault. It, it just sits there empty. Yeah. Well, this is new. They've, they've added this new, I'm just looking at some of the records here. It tells you right away, as soon as you click, without even looking at the password, it tells you how, what the quality of your password is, whether it's good or fair or very good in this. Oh, that one's very good. Okay. Um, shows you what, like how, and then if you hit a site that's unsecure, like it doesn't use HTTPS or whatever, there's a banner that appears across the top. So, you know, without even delving into uh, even using these things, it, it kind of shows, oh, here's one of the weak password. I better fix that one up. Oh no, this password is terrible. And not only weak, it's terrible. I got to look and see what this one is. Is it just password? Oh my God. Or yeah, one, no, two, three. This, this, is, this is one supplied to me by the people who run this website. And, and yeah, looking at the password, I can see why it's particularly weak. But yeah, yeah nothing gets me grumpier than, you know, I've, I've got my settings that I prefer. I generally prefer to use passphrases. Yeah. yeah. Not a lot of websites support that, but like, sorry, your thing has to include at least, you know, one number, one symbol, you know, capitalized thing. Like, right. But no, it, it, it doesn't need to. Oh, okay. Now that you've done that. Oh, by the way, did you know it has to be no more than 12 characters long? It's like, nah, stop. Why are you doing that? Like, yeah. I'm not saying that I that I should be allowed to have a, a, a one gigabyte worth of content, you know, password. All right. You know, there should be some sane limits, but, uh, you know, the 12 characters and, and these other sort of things that are uh, legacy limits, like, let's, let's do away with those if you can. Let's, let's, let's unrestrict it. Yeah. It's funny. Like, so with, um, yeah, I, for like the last year or so, I've just, you know, anytime I go to create a new account or whatever, I just get one password to create the password for me. You know, I don't even bother with, uh, with even trying to figure something out myself. Right. Yeah. Like when, when Twitter, uh, I guess they didn't get owned, but they accidentally leaked out their, yeah. um, you know, passwords in, in some sort of internal logging mechanism. They're like, Oh, maybe the interns can read it. You better change it. And, and it was right. simple, incredibly simple to just go change my password on Twitter using one password. Um, something similar ish happened with GitHub too. Right. I mean, why even think about it? That, that's, it's literally in the name of their, of their product, one password. That's all I have to remember. Right. That yeah. one could be really, you know, lengthy and, and, and difficult to type in because I don't normally have to do it that often. I do it, you know, once on my Mac, I use it often enough. It keeps alive. Sure. I use face ID on my iPhone 10. I use touch ID on my iPad pro. And yeah, it's just like, until we come up with a way to seamlessly, you know, eliminate passwords altogether. I, yeah. I say, go use something like this. Yeah. I did hear something actually. Um, th- uh, I think it was on spark a couple of weeks ago there last week. I think they were talking about um, some sort of web-based password now, instead of get instead of, you know, having you enter in something, it's kind of, 
kind of, I guess, like similar to one password here. It's like a, an authentication token that you get from a site, and that's how you how you log into things. And that way, you don't have to remember. You don't have to worry about remembering the thing. But again, I guess the question is, how would you do it if you're not online? But you know, yeah, interesting. Yeah, is this related to Mozilla, the Mozilla Foundation, makers of Firefox? I think they're involved in something like that. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it was, but yeah, hmm. it's just one interesting. It tells me that two-factor authentication is available on this one particular site that I'm looking at. Yeah, that's well, generally cool. This stuff. They've now gone to like colored icons too. So when you look at um, the icons as you scroll through your, you can see whether it's a, just a password that you created at the time or if it's like a, you know, branded logo or just uh, color coded. Cool. Anyway, one password, good product. But yeah, right. That is, right. That is a shadow pick. All right. Anyway, so speaking of picks, I guess we should move on to our pickorama. And I think if I remember correctly, I'm going to get you to go first, Jaime. Do you have a pick? Yes. Yeah. Mine is a tweet by a uh, friend of the show and also a uh, fellow podcaster, uh, Evan K. Stone. He mm-hmm. runs um, iOS Dev Break, uh, the iOS Dev Break podcast, I should say. And, right. uh, you know, I I didn't know this one. You'd mentioned that you do this all the time. So I think. Yeah, Mark, I know this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think very similar to like some other evergreen topics. It sort of feels like if you wanted, you know, your thing in the conference talk world, you yeah. literally could just keep doing, you know, nifty it's stuff. Great. You could do an Xcode because Xcode yeah. is so massive though like all these little switches and nozzles and buttons that you can tweak and deal yeah. with. Um, I didn't know about this one. He says, uh, today I learned you can load a file into the assistant editor in Xcode by doing an open quickly search with shift command O. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an aside for me, that, that's something I do every day. I love that, right? I use mm-hmm. that all the time. What I didn't know is the latter half, which is, and then alt clicking it when the file you want to open appears in the list will yeah. um, open up in the uh, in the assistant editor. Uh, right. Yep. Like I never put that together, right? Like I, I will <laughs> look at things in the project navigation you know, and, yeah. you know, shift clicked or, or I'll click or I'll shift yeah. click to, um, you know, to get the bit open. And uh, certainly I do the open quickly search one. I never realized you could do that. Right. And it does work with the uh, shift alt click, which will give you the option of, you know, having a new tab or yeah. replacing the assistant editor, creating another assistant editor underneath. Um, I, I, I use this, you know, these tools all the time. I literally had no idea you could do that specific thing that, that, yeah, that saves a lot of time. Alt click thing for years. In fact, I remember showing, I showed it to Mark one time. We were, I think we were doing a pair program thing years ago. Remember that, Mark? I don't remember that, but I believe it when happened. You, when you option click on the file in the, in the project navigator on the side, it opens it. Open, you know, it uses that um, what do they call it? It looks like the two, the Venn diagram, the assistant editor uh, icon. Mm, it opens yeah, the yeah. side and it puts it on the side by each for, for side by side comparison. So Jaime, you want me to blow your mind? Watch this. Um, you got Xcode open? I do not, but I can. Open open up any project you want. Okay, well, it slowly opens. Oh, I don't know if it idea to open this one. Uh, <laughs> can be anything really. Something's got lots of uh, a few few uh, uh, bosses in it. Okay, let's see if this crusty old project opens. Okay, I've got you don't it. have to run it; just have to be able to open it, right? So mm-hmm. go to the, go to the search. You know the Command Shift F to do search. Okay. You notice I didn't say Apple Key Shift F, but Command Shift F, and just look for the type of word in that you think will will show up in the in in the search. Okay. Right. Uh, and actually, well, yeah, you need to go click on the thing, click on it, and click on the result. And so now you're on a page inside your standard editor in the middle, which is the middle pane, right? But where is that in the project navigator, right? So if you hit command shift J on the keyboard, it'll open it in the project manager. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool, eh? Oh, yeah, I actually do use that one. So <laughs> that's for the people driving at home. Yeah, I think you were trying to amaze me. Unfortunately, you ran into one I actually do know and use all the time. <laughs> but but that's my point, right? Like, like you could you could keep watching, you know, here's some new thing in Xcode videos. To the end of time, you would never run out. Um, yeah. Because I knew these other ones, right? To, to Evan's one, I, I knew the open quickly, right? Shift command. Yeah, I don't o. use the open quickly. I knew about alt clicking from the, um, you know, from the project navigator. I didn't know I could combine these two things. And yeah. from the re- 
results in the shift command. Oh, I can get something into the assistant editor without having to round trip it through the um, through the command shift J option that you just uh, reminded me of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my colleagues, Chris Wagner, was telling me about this thing, and I, he had posted it on, on Twitter. I think he might have pinned to his uh, Twitter page, and I probably should go look at it. But you know, when you when you you hold the command key down and you hover over top of a, a method declaration in your um, and you click on it, it gives you that jump to definition, and there's all this other crap that opens up like show quick help callers edit and scope in the old mm-hmm. version of xcode it used to just jump to that definition do you remember yeah yeah right there's a way to turn off all this other junk right so it says here what does it say man this yeah certainly for me i like using it to understand like any documentation that there might be um mm-hmm. if that's not enough i need to see the source you know command clicking and, and getting to it um i think the biggest stumbling block for me is if you're using swift and source kit decides that it needs to re-index before you get any syntax highlighting that that's the only bit of frustrating part and that's that's more of a Xcode tooling thing than it is Swift specific. Right, right. I like using using option click because that will open up the actual documentation. Yeah, yeah. It also, yeah, if you option click it also, it'll also show you, if you click on a variable, it'll tell you whether it's uh, an optional or not or what, what type it is. And you know that one? I know that one. Yeah, there... like, like I'm looking at self-navigation bar top item, for instance, right? If I, if I option click on navigation bar, it shows me that it's a var navigation bar of type UI, uh, UI navigation bar and it's got an exclamation meaning it's force unwrapped which of course it is. I can see like two lines above where it was declared, but uh. okay. Uh, here's one here for you that I'm, that I'm requesting or asking. Yeah. Is there a keyboard shortcut that does this? Because I know how to do it in two different ways from the UI, uh-huh. but using the mouse is not the most efficient way. So uh, if I have my cursor on, let's say like a method declaration. Sure. And if I want to see who calls this, I can go to a couple different things. Oh, I can either, callers one? Yeah. Yeah. I can either right click and then from the uh, menu, I can use find call hierarchy. That'll, that'll do a search and it will show me like here's everybody who calls this and and those callers and, and so on and so forth until yeah. it uh, goes out of scope for everything you can also use the little like windows icon it's like four squares next to each yeah. other the related items and choose from that menu the callers list and then Late individually night. go to one of these yeah. is there a keyboard shortcut that just sort of does the find call hierarchy thing because that would save me a lot of time yeah that one i don't know uh, let's see callers, callers. If, if anybody out there does know um hashtag ask mtjc give us a follow-up <laughs> i'd sure love to know because again, Jack, Jack, so big. Blue, you're listening to this show, you can tell us what it is. Mm-hmm. Jack's one of the guys that Ray Wonder looked at this, has done the tips and tricks. And I can't remember who did the last one. Those guys. Yeah, there was actually at, at RWDevCon, I mean, if you go back to the videos, there was a tips and tricks session, which I didn't go to, but um, I would have learned some cool stuff if I if I had. I think okay. I they can have a totally different one next year and there'll be also more cool stuff to know from Well, Mexico. I told you about Command-Shift-G, which is the one that'll run the test that you just ran again without having to go back to your test um, classes, right? You're talking about Control Option Command G. Uh, is that what it is? Control maybe. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And Control Option Command U. Right, runs which will run whichever specific test or test suite that your cursor yeah. happens to be in. in your, exactly. Yep. Not that anybody does any tef- test-driven development these days, right? <laughs> test-backed development. That's the new hotness. There will huh? be test-backed development. That'll right, be the right, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. That'll okay. be the new hotness. There'll be conferences. There'll be swag to buy. You know, enamel pins, t-shirts. <laughs> books CBD Coursera courses yeah, yes we'll, we'll have DVD versions because you never know when somebody you know maybe you're uh, maybe you're on a trip you know family road trip it's the summertime and you, you need to go out to a cabin and or you're driving from Pennsylvania to Idaho and uh, you gotta do something with your time you can't be just be watching Shrek 3 yeah, on the yeah. loop you gotta do something for you keep your sanity actually I do have a stealth pick too actually now that you mentioned that um, it came from our friends over at Topology Eyewear you know those shifty guys over there right it's on their blog you mean the mad scientist with the laser
laser beams. Yeah. Um, Alexis Gallagher had posted a piece, and I was reading it today or yesterday, I think, actually. I'm just trying to find it right now. But it basically is um, how to use, how to build, uh, do auto layout and things like that, and UI, uh, view debugging and stuff like that using playgrounds. Did you see that piece? I did not. Developing UI views in Xcode playgrounds. And it's got a whole bunch of tips and tricks on how they use playgrounds at uh, Topology Eyewear to uh, figure stuff out. Uh, it's a really interesting uh, article. Um, and then some uh, example uh, example uh, playgrounds you can download. I'm just going to paste it into the show notes for you guys. That's my stealth pick. But I do have an actual pick, too. Oh, there's Dick. Let's take a look at that one. I think it was liked by Greg, but it was written by uh, by Alexis. So cool stuff. So my actual pick is, and, and I haven't, I have to admit, this is a $20 video that just came out. It's an app documentary called App colon The Human Story. And it's all about the sort of development of, or the history of app development in the last little while, um, talking to actual people who were involved in the sort of app sort of market and uh, covers, you know, had the early successes and then, you know, the indie apocalypse. And it's kind of the history of our business or what this podcast is about over the last few years. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a little $20 investment um, to buy this video and watch it. But, um, but it looks pretty cool. I, I watched the trailer um, the other day and I thought I would uh, throw it in here as my pick for something that, that's of interest. I mean, Mark and I have even talked about writing a history of, uh, I think we talked about writing a history of um, app development, uh, you know, in the last little while, but um, really cool story about, uh, about how we've, how we've gotten to where we are today. Um, but uh, sort of from all the sort of ways that, that uh, apps are now, apps and phones, things like that are all affecting us and, um, and changing our lives, right? So app, the human story, that's my pick or this week. Yeah, I've, I've not seen this, but I, I think I heard that it includes a lot of folks that we would know. Um, Brent Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, I think pretty well known in, in the Apple ecosphere, currently works at uh, Omni here in, in the Seattle area. Uh, did a lot of things like you know, Mars Edit originally and uh, right. RSS Gator and a lot of other things that people have, have certainly used before. Um, I, I believe, and I could be wrong, I think friend of the show, Kim uh, Altberg, comes out in this as well for one of his apps. So mm-hmm. uh, it'd be interesting to watch and see kind of like, oh, who do we know here uh, beyond just the you know the human interest part of the, of the story? Not I know sure. I don't come out in it because they didn't videotape me unless they did it surreptitiously. Yeah, I don't know if I, I said twenty dollars, but it's actually nineteen twenty Canadian, so I suspect it's around fourteen fifteen dollars US. So what does it say on your site? Your your version? Let's see. Where is the where's the purchase? This direct download. Let's see here. Purchase via Vimeo. It doesn't even tell me how much. What? Yeah, I need to sign in first. All right, let's see what the DVD and Blu-ray is. Oh, on DVD it's five dollars on sale. What? <laughs> on DVD? On Blu-ray it's five dollars on sale. I might get this in physical what? media version, and then from when I'm on a road trip, I can put this on the in the van. Oh, Blu-ray DVD. Look at that. Huh. But is it is it actually been manufactured yet? I guess that's a question, right? Uh, we oh, it's got a comment here. We had a small run, and the printing is not up to our standards, so these are deeply discounted. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're quoting uh, Gruber's quoted on this, and a few other people. Yeah, story, and, and it talks about like you know how we sort of thought you know the app world is going to be great, and then it turns out the majority of people just want to play Candy Crush all day, kind of thing, right? And the big guys swooped in and you know wrecked it for the rest of us, right? I think part of the, the gist I got from the, the preview. Interesting stuff. All right, well I guess that's it, eh, for the week. I mean, mm-hmm. if people want to find you on the interwebs, where do they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right, and Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, Mark R at Smapsoft.com. And I apologize for not asking you first. <laughs> next week. Next, next week. Next week I'll ask. Yeah, maybe or maybe I won't. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um yes. as I usually say, my name is Timitra T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine. That's the best way to get hold of me. And don't forget, we sold a t shirt today. You should get a t shirt, totally get a t shirt. And if you don't want to get a t shirt, go to, to San Francisco or San Diego, San Jose, find Mark and get a t shirt. But until next week, we'll say bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.
This is friend of the show, Jonathan. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. still torn as to whether I should buy an Apple Pencil or if I should just wait like two more weeks to see what oh, happens at Dub Dub. Wait. I'm still waiting. See if, they, see if they announce one or see if they hint at a new one coming out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it's a thing like, you know, I find that, um, like I've been looking to see if I should buy like an Apple Pro keyboard, you know, the and I keep looking at them and I saw one the other day on, on Amazon for like 180 bucks, which is like, you know, a few bucks less than buying at retail. And I still haven't pulled the trigger on it, you know. And again, but have I gotten by without using a keyboard on the iPad? Yeah, for sure. You know, and my pencil, I just charged my pencil up just like just before the show. I, I hardly ever use it. So I don't know. I would wait. <laughs> I think I think yeah. unless you're like unless you're gonna use it every pretty much pretty much every day or whatever, you know, you're really into it, um, then you know, I'd wait. Yeah, I think I probably will wait. I it'll come in handy doing like whiteboarding or diagramming remotely. Yeah. I've, I've tried using paper the paper app um, right, right. by hand and it's got some tools that help, but it's it's definitely kind of frustrated to try to draw uh, sorry, write text and draw seamlessly with my really? finger rather than using a pencil. Paper's my favorite one for taking notes. Like when I open the paper app, I grab the like the felt pen or whatever and I zoom in, you know, like I zoom in on the page and then I basically just um, take notes and I, I scroll around on the page and stuff like that. Um, but that, I think of all the sort of apps that let me draw or, you know, sort of write cursively or whatever, that's probably my favorite one. You know, still haven't gotten to the whole sketching and painting yet, you know, on, on uh, mobile devices, you know. But, yeah. Yeah. I think that's something a little bit different. That, that's kind of more in line with like what Tammy's doing, right? Yeah, she, yeah, well, she does it every day though, right? So yeah, she's been doing it for years too. The other thing that's really cool though, I have to say, AstroPad is amazing. Like if you use if you use your Mac at all, like if you ever do any or want to do any drawing or whatever, um, like if I'm ever working on Photoshop and I have to get in to do some close cutting and stuff, like, like I actually had to blur the background in that picture of Jonathan and Xavier. Um, you know, normally I would open up uh, AstroPad and I would zoom in on it, and then I could you know see the edges really well and and use my pencil instead of just my finger or even my finger on the trackpad, you know? So it would be cool. You know what would be cool is if they came out with a trackpad that you could use a pencil on. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. Like a, like a, like a little, um, not a Wacom tablet, but like, um, yeah, I guess Wacom makes out those too. Yeah. So I've seen, I've seen, um, I've seen trackpads where, I mean, like people, I think, I think the whole idea of drawing on an iPad or drawing on, on a Wacom tablet or the Wacom Cintiq is it's kind of, it's closer to drawing, but there's no reason why if you, if you study drawing at all, there's no, you, you learn that, you know, like, you know, how 
touch typing when you're touch typing. I don't know if you touch type or not, but you don't look at your fingers. You look at the words on the screen. Mm-hmm. When you draw, you don't necessarily look at the, you know, you're looking at the thing you're drawing and, and your hands are moving kind of thing, right? So um, because you can see the cursor on the screen, you don't necessarily have to like have be drawing right on the natural surface, right? So there's no reason why they couldn't make a trackpad that was, you know, that you could use the pencil with and then use that, I think, uh, you know, use it for touch sensitive and stuff like that like, um, kind of work, right? Because, you know, if, if they built in the technology, it would, would read the sensor readings from the pencil, which is what they're doing on the iPad, right? And I've seen other um, softwares that have come out for, over the years that let you use your trackpad as, you know, as a tablet kind of thing, right? Drawing and stuff like that on in the past. So I think these these uh, trackpads are, are higher resolution than, than you'd think, right? In terms of how um, sensitive they are. Yeah, yeah. And the presumably the newer MacBook Pros with the enormous one have yeah, yeah, yeah. even more space there. Well, so the, the I have the Magic Trackpad 2 in, in my hand right now. It's like four by six inches, I guess. Um, that's how big the trackpad is on, on the MacBook um, Touch Bar. MacBook, right? that, it's that the same size. So it's ginormous. Yeah. I'm waiting for the OLED screen trackpad, Magic Trackpad 3 <laughs> with HomePod <laughs> integration, which will never happen. And it tells time. <laughs> <laughs> and makes phone calls. Yeah. Exactly. Two things we don't do anymore, tell time or make phone calls. Yeah. So Tim, the um, the Expanse, yeah, potentially we, saved by Amazon. They, they might they might bring it onto their service. Is that for I don't think sure it's official or not? Yet. I don't think it's official yet, but they're they're in the in the works or in talks. Wow. That's good, right? I mean, we talked about um what was that other show? Uh Dark Matter. The Dark Matter that, that unfortunately didn't get picked up, but it, it looks like the <laughs> Well, I mean, but in like the modern social media uh, era, yeah, right, yeah, where, you know, yeah. the Expanse got resurrected and saved by uh, by its fans. I've, I've been, like, I still continue to see people tweeting about the Expanse. Have you ever watched it? Never have. And and was not going to, seeing as it was yeah. about to be canceled. Oh, really? And then now that it's potentially resurrected, I'm like, oh, okay, now it's worth watching because it won't end on a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, um, I, I watched it since the very beginning because, again, it was on space and it looked kind of cool. And I thought I would watch it. And, you know, I always give shows one or two episodes and and see how it goes and yeah i've been watching that one since the very beginning and it's it's, it's from a technology point of view it's it's much more accessible than a lot of the other shows right because um have you ever read um uh, the foundation trilogy mark by Ham- sure. by asimov sure many years ago yeah you remember the i think the second one was the second or maybe the first story foundation the very first foundation story was about trucking across from one planet to another like the early oh, sort of there was it, yeah i think it was the whole like you know like how do you get you know sort of the, you know, the the Pony Express kind of thing. Um, how do you get from, um, you know, one place to another? How do you get supplies back and forth? Well, in the Expanse universe, and there's no spoilers given away here, but, you know, Mars has been colonized and, and the Earth has been colonized and the Moon's been colonized. And so, and then there's people living on the astral, ast- asteroid belt, which is, and they're called belters, right? Um, and so it's it like, it's like we've kind of, got, we've kept, stepped off of Earth, but we haven't gone that far yet, right? And so now there's the three sides of the belters, there's the Mar- people on Mars and there's people on Earth. And it's basically about the struggle between the three of them. And that's the expanse, I believe, right? And I think that's where the name comes from, the expanse, because it's, it's sort of the distance between them. And, and it's, you know, there's a whole politics and, you know, there's a character who's the leader of the Earth, of the United Nations, which is the leader of Earth and Mars. You know, they don't like each other and they're fighting and, you know, that kind of stuff, right? So it's not like all-out war, like Klingons versus versus uh, the Federation, but, you know, there's tension and there's technology that gets, you know, that's there and the belters are sort of, um, you know, on the outskirts, you know, um, outliers in, in, a, in a sense, right? So, and it, but and it's very pretty, like it's very well, um, it's not cheesy graphics, it's, you know, the, the graphics is really well done and the CGI effects and, you know, it's it's 
very believable from a point of view of where you think we might be in say two or three hundred years, right? And that's I think that's the appeal of it, right? It's sort of uh, it looks good. It's got some interesting, interesting characters and some weird technology, of course, you know, because it wouldn't be sci-fi without weird technology. <laughs> no spoilers given. And it starts out as as a sort of private eye detect story, right? And then it goes from there. Definitely worth watching, even if it is even if it does get canceled, you know. Well, that's why I didn't invest into Dark Matter because I I learned that it does end on a cliffhanger, and not like oh well, you can just imagine something happens sort of cliffhanger it sounds like it's like no they really needed like a wrap-up episode kind yeah of i don't know i mean so so the 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 premise behind dark matter is is interesting because you know it's about these six people that wake up on this ship and they can't remember anything right they've had their they've had their memories wiped somehow right and um you know and they don't even know their own names so they call themselves one two three four five and six right um and then there's a there's a robot as well or an android um they call the android right um and they can't remember and so the throughout the episode it was it two it was on for three years right they kind of reveal little bits about people and there's only, there's only one guy who one or two guys you actually learn the real names right and then there's mystery behind because they weren't all you think they're all in this together kind of thing but it turns out over over time that some of them are from different factions and you know some were saboteurs and that kind of stuff and and how they all ended up on the ship together is the sort of mis- that's the sort of lost in space kind of you know premise that that never gets revealed right so it was a um, Canadian sci-fi movie. I think it was called Cage or something like that. Where a cube? No, it was called Cube. Have you ever heard of the movie called Cube? Yeah, I've seen Cube. Yeah, yep. you basically these people wake up on this in this cube, and they they kind of you go through these different rooms, and they find each other, and they're all trying to get out of the cube kind of thing. Yeah, it's very sort of Twilight Zone in in that sense. They're they're trying to figure out where they are, why they're here, and how to get out of here. Right? Star Lost. The Star Lost TV show was kind of like that too. Right? Where these people wake up after suspended animation, and they can't remember why they're where they're going or what's going on and you know it's that sort of mystery in that sense right so dark matter is very similar in that same sort of vein, vein as cube and uh and the star lost right i don't think they ever i don't think they really ever had to answer those questions you know mm, right right like in firefly you want to find out where um what's her name uh river the river river and her brother you know you want to find out what what their story is and so on and so forth right and they, they try to solve they try to answer that question in uh in the movie serenity try not to put spoilers out there for people who haven't watched it yet <laughs> yeah i, I think these these shows that have a premise that's based on some sort of mystery are almost certainly going to be in a better place on a streaming service that can you know either buy the whole production run and say all right there's going to be a five season thing mm-hmm. you know we're going to run the entire thing run through your plan mm-hmm. um or if things have to get cut short like uh, let's say like sense8 that had you know one season then they kind of had like a long production break they had some struggles yeah. it got out a second season and then it got canceled but because there was enough fan interest they said all right we'll make a two-hour you know finale you know, mm. to, for the fans and that would never happen on broadcast television right like yeah sci-fi is cutting the expanse and and they're just cutting it hard and, and this is why the the fans yeah. were up in arms that please netflix hulu amazon disney somebody somebody somewhere save us yeah i mean broadcast television is so fickle i mean like you know it's like anything that's anything that's like sort of way out there like if it's not a cop show or a fireman show or a, a bunch of guys and a bunch of girls living in these apartments together you know whether it's Seinfeld or Friends, you know what I mean. It's or it's like a soap opera kind of thing or sitcom. You know, they're they're really tough to sort of like get these shows that are outside, and that's why th- things like Netflix and Hulu and that kind of stuff that can pick up these these oddities and and run with them, right? Um, you know, like the science fiction section of of a bookstore to you and me, that's like gold, right? But to most people, mm-hmm. the majority of people out there, like that's such a small percentage of what they'd be interested in, right? They want to read the Harlequin romances or the you know the the nonfiction bios and stuff like that right 
or the yeah nonfiction bios and the biographies and things like that, right? Or the theories. They don't want to. They don't want to go into the corner of the bookstore and you know read the sort of sci-fi fantasy stuff. You know, which we of course you know eat up, right? Yeah, it's also a little different too with regards to syndication. Like, uh, let's take two shows, competitive shows that came out this year that yeah, I think they work really well on you know where they're at in terms of uh, broadcasting. So the Orville is a very episodic show. Yeah, like TNG. There's hardly any. There is some continuity from episode to episode, but if you came in at episode seven and you watched episode two, you're totally fine. Yeah. Right. Um, as opposed to Star Trek Discovery, which would be an absolute disaster <laughs> in normal syndication where they run them out of order because you'd yeah. see all sorts of stuff and you'd have no clue what's going on. Like you have to watch that as a serialized thing and it plays better uh, on a streaming service. Not one I'm happy paying for, but sure. <laughs> it's better in a streaming service than it would be on, on Fox like the Orville is. Right. Yeah. But, I, but the other thing, what I mean though about fickle, fickleness is that, you know, the whole, um, the model of ratings, right? The rating, the, you know, the, the Nielsen ratings or whatever they use these days. Um, I mean, like if you look at it, if you look at it from a ratings perspective, the Big Bang Theory should have got canceled after the first season, right? Because, you know, Carol and I watched it and we didn't know anybody else who watched it. You know, maybe maybe a, uh, one or two people, right? Um, but now it's like, you know, it's everywhere. Uh, people are, you know, watches it all the time. And, that, and they say part of that is because it went to syndication, but you have to have a hundred episodes before they go to syndication or they used to have to have that many, right? Um, but, yeah. but, you know, that was such an outlier show. In fact, you know, um, I think Mark sent me the original pilot episode uh, to watch and it's it's pretty pretty out there in terms of uh, in terms of a show that people would want to watch right so you know because the characters are very undeveloped and you know Penny wasn't even in the original one right so, yeah but I mean you know again like I, I can't watch any more doc- doctor sto- shows or cop shows or fireman shows you know because that's all that you know or you know yeah, you know there's like 10 different cop shows and you know there's you know, family dramas because their families all in the you know they're all police people and you know like, CSI East LA it's like yeah, wait yeah. East LA <laughs> is there a West LA show yeah. <laughs> each zip code has their own CSI code. show uh, exactly yeah 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 you know it's it's yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of dumb that way right so but and that's um, why something that's odd and an, an oddball show like like again in Canada if we didn't have the space channel you know there would be nowhere for this stuff to run right um, we do have also showcase which is sorry um, is it called showcase it's like show yeah showcase here in Canada is very similar in terms of the kind of shows that you see on Showtime. And then, of course, we both get FX, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, those are shows that, that are kind of like, um, they're more specialty channels, right? But it's funny, though, like some of these things like AMC, whatever, <laughs> they, they're constantly showing, you know, um, the, the movie about the tornado um, where, with Helen Hunt and um, Bill Paxton and uh, Independence Day kept, keeps getting shown over and over again. And like, do these people not realize that we watched, we've like, like they're not fooling anyone by showing the same movie week after week after week? week after week you know i mean if you paid for that license you're gonna run it into the ground right well, like, yeah i suppose oh is it, is it memorial day weekend guess what harry potter marathon on abc family <laughs> you know and, and if you look at it from the point of view of what i'm paying per month for the tv shows that i get like you know i'm probably paying like a couple of bucks a month for these you know rare show these odd channels right but uh you know it's because they're all part of the package as it were i don't know if guys if that's how tv is done for you guys but if you have a cable package you get like a couple of sports channels and a couple of arts channels and you get all the regular you know networks it used to get for free you know is that what it's like for you yeah. down there yeah and you know with with all of this 
like fragmentation of streaming, it's getting kind of difficult. Because like, let yeah. me tell you about a series that I, I want to watch. And, yeah. I, and I could watch the first two episodes for free, but I refuse to pay for yeah. another service until I can find a reason to, to justify it. Yeah. That's uh, Cobra Kai, which is uh, the follow-up to The Karate Kid. This oh, is on oh, right. yeah, YouTube yeah, yeah. Red. So it's part of their premium service. And they have the first two, you know, is that with Ralph the first Macchio hit is free. So? Yeah, Ralph Macchio and, and the dude who played yeah. um, Johnny, like they both come back as, you know, they're yeah. 20 some years older, 30 some years older, whatever yeah, it is. And, and, and um, the Ralph Macchio character is the dick in it, right? Yeah, yeah. I kind of, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it says something about my personality, but I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of rooting for, you know, the Cobra Kai folks. And I'm, sure. I'm kind of, you know, in the new Star Wars films, I'm kind of rooting for the First Order and yeah. hashtag Thanos was right from Avengers mm-hmm. Infinity War. Like, mm-hmm. I find the villain side of it so much more compelling, at least right now. I don't yeah. know if I'll change in the future, but yeah.